0: You know, throughout this series of messages, beware of spiritual amnesia that we've been going through, I have been reminding you again and again and again through the book of Judges about the importance of praying for the next generation, about the importance of modeling godliness and righteousness for the next generation, about the importance of equipping the next generation for the battle. And the book of Judges shows us again and again how the failure by one generation to do that would spill disaster upon the next. That apathy and carelessness on the part of one generation can severely hamper the spiritual growth of the next. Someone said that only one in a hundred pass the test of success. Let me repeat that. One in a hundred pass the test of success. And today we find Gideon to be among the ninety-nine and not the one. He flunked the success test. He had passed many other tests, but he flunked the success test. The contrast between the man that we met in the book of Judges, chapter 6, and that we meet today in Judges, chapter 8, is very alarming, to say the least. The contrast between the man in Judges 6 and Judges 8 is a stark contrast. In Judges, chapter 8, you see a man who started well, but finished badly. A man who started right, but ended wrong. A man who started with humility and ended up in pride. A man who started by seeking God's glory ended by seeking His own glory. A man who started by being weak, only strengthened by the power of God. A man who began to believe his own press releases. But even after his success... Gideon did many things right, but he failed in the end. And this wrong ending of his life caused the misleading and the failure and the despondency and the backsliding of an entire nation. I'm going to show it to you from the Word of God. Right after their defeating of the Midianites, which we saw in the last message, Gideon gets criticized severely by the Ephraimites. Now remember this Gideon is from the tribe of Manasseh. Manasseh and Ephraim were brothers. They were the sons of Joseph, and they became part of the tribes of Israel by the sovereign choice of God. So they were his brothers. Although Gideon made sure that he gave them an opportunity to participate in the battle in order to get part of the credit, yet they were so angry with him that they criticized him so severely. Why? Because they wanted all of the credit, not just part of the credit. They criticized him severely. Look at verse 1, it says, they criticized him sharply. Why? Oh, They wanted to be in on the decision. (laughs) They wanted to be in on the choice of the 300. They wanted to be in, in the process. They wanted to be included in the very decision-making process. They were not consulted, and that really hurt their feelings. God bless them. Never mind this business of this as being God's plan. Never mind about the fact that God is the one who gave it to him, and God is the one who confirmed it. Never mind about this being the design of God. Never mind about he sought God on his knees. Never mind about this being a divine strategy. Never mind about him just being obedient to what God told him to do. Never mind about God's directions. Never mind about God speaking to him and confirming his word to him our opinion must be taken into account. What is this business of calling us after the battle has already been won? What's this business of just getting us into the end of it? What's this business of calling us just to come up for a mop-up operation and cleaning up operation? What is this business? (laughs) Often people, when they are critical and have a critical spirit, they often mask the real reason for their criticism. Somebody said years ago, there is always a personal reason behind people's criticism. Always something personal. They mask it behind some spiritual cover. Uh, they might mask it as what well, people are saying, or somebody I heard somewhere. And remember Miriam and Aaron? Miriam and Aaron were the Moses and brother and sister. You remember them? Well, they were furious at Moses' leadership. They didn't like his style. They didn't like the fact that he's hogging all the headlines. They didn't like the fact that he's getting all the credit. They didn't like the fact that he's getting all the attention. Out of envy, they got really mad at their brother, in <laughs> spite of the fact that one of them was a high priest and the other one was a music leader. And so they wouldn't come out in the open and say, well, we don't like your leadership style. We don't like what you're doing. We don't like the fact that you're hogging all the headlines. No, you know what they said? Well, we just don't like the fact that you married an Ethiopian, which stirred up prejudice in the heart of everybody around. That wasn't the real reason. That wasn't the real reason. It was red herring. It was a cover-up. Duet Talmage once said, without exception, the people who have the greatest number of faults are they themselves the most merciless in their criticism of others. M.I. DeHaan once said, he said, it is dead giveaway when you meet a person who's always criticizing and finding fault with others. 99 times out of 100, they are trying to detract attention from their own sin by pointing their finger to others. And you know, I was thinking about this and how some people some criticize out of self-righteousness. And, and I thought of a story that I read years and years ago. It was about Queen Victoria. Now, Let me tell you, as far as I'm concerned, Queen Victoria was the most God-centered, the most Christ-centered monarch, really was. She was a godly woman in her own way. But one day, when she was summer months, she spent in Balmoral Castle in Scotland, like all the monarchs do. One Sunday afternoon, it was a warm Sunday afternoon, she decided to get in the boat and have her stuff row her around in that lake right behind Balmoral Castle. And the crowd started gathering around them, I mean, they just saw their queen, and, and, they, and they were looking and watching. And, and then this self-righteous woman who was so indignant at what the queen is doing on the Lord's Day, she turned to the minister standing next to her. She said, look at that! Look at that! How disgusting it is for her to have her staff rowing her around on the Lord's Day! Oh, the minister thought for a minute. He said, well, ma'am, Do you remember in the Gospels that Jesus went into the Sea of Galilee and had the disciples row Him around on the Sabbath where she looked at Him with such indignation and said, Two wrongs don't make it right. (laughs) I'm sure you have met some of those folks. I have. But sometimes we as parents come across as very critical, particularly with our teenagers. In fact, I was absolutely mesmerized about a research that was done recently that says that, on the average, parents communicate with their teenage children 14 minutes a day, on the average. 14 minutes. 12 minutes of those... The communication is negative. 1 minute neutral and 1 minute is positive. The few things that I try to do is number 1 not to belittle their character. I tried not to force them to do areas where they are have no aptitude. I tried not to ignore their accomplishments. I tried not to call them names. I tried not to use sarcasm and not withhold praise when it is due. There are some people who praise their kids no matter what. No, give it to them only when it's due because kids understand. Gideon, back to Gideon. He was blistered by his brothers. (laughs) I mean, they ripped him up one side and down the other, and yet Gideon responded to their criticism with grace. He responded to their criticism with wisdom. He could have used his popularity, that just achieved from this big victory, to really sock it to the Ephraimites, to really put them in their place, but he didn't. Proverbs 15:1 said, "A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger." Gideon understood that he who is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who takes the city. So Gideon swallowed his pride and praised the Ephraimites. He praised them for their part. He praised them for what they have done, and he said, what you have done is even greater than what I have done. And yet Gideon punished those who were guilty of treason. So he passed the criticism test. Secondly, you find Gideon in verses 22 to 27 that he passes the personal popularity test. He passed the criticism test. He passed the personal popularity test. Look with me at those verses, 22-27. They immediately, after victory, they want to make him king. They said, rule over us. Be our king. Not only that, but make it hereditary. So your children and grandchildren rule over us. After all, he proved himself, right? They needed a king. They wanted a king. His success has proved him to be Qualified him to be a king. Ah, oh, but Gideon knew that this has been their Achilles' heels all along. He knew that this is the sin of his nation that brought them down again and again and again. Namely, that every time God delivers them, every time God gives them victory, they give the credit to somebody. Because Gideon could not forget that it was God who delivered them. It was God who was their Savior. It was that God is their king. God was their provider. God was their blesser. God was their rulers. And in verse 23, he said, I will not rule over you. The Lord shall rule over you. He understood that he was not voted for by the crowd, that he was not selected by a committee, that he was not selected by a board. He was not even chosen by his own tribe, but he was called by the Holy Spirit of God, and therefore he would not disobey God and become a king. Hear me right on this one. To place anyone in God's place is a disaster. Every Jew understood that the reason God, in His design of the tabernacle, put the mercy seat there as a visual reminder for them that God, sitting on His throne, ruling over His people. Every Jew understood that Yahweh is their king. That mercy seat represented God's throne. And Gideon knew that. He understood that to set up a rival throne would mean dethroning of Yahweh altogether. He knew that it is bad enough that they pushed Yahweh to the peripheries of their culture. It was bad enough that they pushed God and marginalized Him in their society. It was bad enough that they moved Yahweh out of His central place in life. But to dethrone Him altogether, that would have meant the end of Israel as a Jewish nation. Although Gideon passed the criticism test, Although he passed the personal popularity test, and yet he flunked when it came to idolatry. I'm sure if you looked at this text and and you said, well, how can an ephod be an idol? It is a garment that is to be worn according to Exodus 28. God is the one who told them about this. How can that be idol? Ah, listen to me. This was a garment that should be only worn by the high priest. The names of the tribes of Israel are written on that garment. There were two stones, the Urim and the Thummim, by which they discerned the will of God and the divine plan of God. Not only that… But this is to be worn only by the high priest of Israel. Not only that, it is to be worn only by the high priest once a year. But not only that, it is to be worn by the high priest once a year in Shiloh, in the tabernacle. Because that's the symbol of where God is and where God rules. But Gideon wanted to control God's revelation. He wanted to have direct guidance from God so he can literally control the people that way. When you look around and you see some churches in turmoil, I promise you, you're going to discover that because there are people there who do not recognize God's anointing, do not recognize God's favor at a certain person at a certain time, and they try to run these churches on a humanistic, secular mindset, and that's why they never get God's blessings. I can see it from his perspective, and I can see how he succumbed to this. The high priest, well, he's in Shiloh, not in my hometown, and he really is not very effective at all, so I can be a better substitute than he is. And if I'm going to be the substitute, high priest, I'm going to need God's divine wisdom It got to his head because God guided him. That means God cannot do it without him. That's a mistake we all make. So he told all the people, you know, you got some of the spoils? Give me a golden ring. Give me a golden ring. And they were glad to give it to him. And they said, pile the gold, and he makes this magnificent golden ephod. Verse 27 is the saddest part in all of Gideon's story. It's the saddest part. Is what it says, and all of Israel played the harlot with it, namely the Ephod. There, there are some people who just love to come and tell you what God wants you to do. Have you ever been there? You ever come to you and say, "I have a word from the Lord for you"? I often scratch my head and say, "Wait a minute! I spent two hours with the Lord this morning in prayer. He never told me that." <laughs> Why didn't he tell me that? Listen to me. When people come to you uninvited and tell you the Lord wants you to do this, here's what they're basically doing. They want you to do what they want you to do, but they want to blame the Lord for it. I mean, what? Are you going to fight with the Lord? (laughs) Poor old Gideon, he started right and he ended wrong. His own success ensnared him into a big ego. Somebody said ego stands for edging God out. Be careful of it. I have seen through the years, I've seen young men, young people get attracted to the trappings of ministry, and once they get into it and they discover the responsibilities and discover the challenges and discover the temptations and the problems, they opt out. And that is why we have one out of four full-time ministries leaving at a given time. Why? Because they have failed to discern God's anointing for their life and stay in that area of anointing. I've seen it even in businessmen where God has given them a certain anointing in a certain profession, whether it be real estate or insurance or whatever it is, and then they get into other areas and they lose their shirt. Stay in the area of your anointing. That's where the blessing is. I was talking to a man back in 1999 who left the pastoral work, and and, and I said, why did you leave the pastoral? He said, you know, I just realized after a few years that sheep do bite. (laughs) And I couldn't take it. Now, I don't think that's it. You see, because when God gives you the anointing, He gives you the grace to endure all of the challenges and all of the difficulties and all of the temptations. Don't ever get out of your anointing. Unless God tells you so in a very clear way. Don't try to take somebody else's anointing into your life. Remember, David, when they put on Saul's armor on him, he couldn't move. He couldn't move. He couldn't walk. Why? Why? He said, I cannot fight the battle with Saul's armor. I have to fight it. I fight the battle with God's armor that He has given me. Which was not much. But that's how God gets the credit. Now, whether you're a doctor or an engineer or an office worker or a CEO or an architect or a homemaker, be sure to stay in the area of your anointing. Remember, I was preaching on Deborah not so long ago. There's great woman of God, one of the greatest women in the Old Testament. And I mentioned, I told you, the reason she is one of the greatest women in the Old Testament is because she resisted the temptation of taking Barak's anointing. She stayed in the area of her anointing and tried not to eclipse Barak. Gideon had a private agenda all along. It was not to be king, it was not to be a military ruler, but he wanted to be the high priest. And that was his downfall, and the whole nation suffered as a result. God said, the high priest comes from the tribe of the Levites, not Manasseh, not Ephraim, not Dan, not any of the others, the Levites. But he wanted to grab for himself that which is not his. Be careful of grabbing that which is not yours because you won't get God's blessing. I couldn't help during the week as I I was about to conclude this message, and I couldn't help but contrast Abraham with Gideon after victory. After victory, Abraham refused to take any of the spoils, but Gideon did. After victory, Abraham made sure that all the others got their share of the spoils. Gideon did not. After victory, Abraham refused to accept a gift from the king of Sodom, said, I don't want it to be out-rumored that you made me rich. Only God will make me rich when He wants to. And then he turned around and took 10% of all of his net worth, and he gave it to Melchizedek, which is the symbol and the type of Christ. Gideon did not. All that Abraham said and all that he did after victory is that he wanted God to get all of the glory Gideon wanted to keep it to himself, and that is why he ended badly. That's why he ended badly. Let me encourage you to encourage one another to stay in the area of your anointing, to stay with the partner that God gave you, to stay in the job that God has provided for you, to stay in the place where God has called you to be, because if you think the grass is greener on the other side, you will be sorry, and you'll weep bitter tears. We need to stay in the area of our anointing, not only so that we may finish well, but for the blessing of the next generation. There may be someone here who really does not know the Lord Jesus, as they say. If they haven't received eternal life. They haven't received His forgiveness. They've never come to the point of acknowledging that they are sinners and heading straight for eternal judgment. They may be a churchy, you may like church, you may like church people, but you really have never been regenerated in the heart. You know, today is the day. They say, Lord Jesus Christ, come into my life. I repent of my sins. Forgive me. And He will give you the gift of eternal life, because that's His promise. It's not because you prayed it, but because He said, when you do ask, you get it. And it's my prayer that not a single person here who have never received Jesus as Savior and Lord, obeyed Him as Lord, that will do that today as we pray. Our Father, as we see the confusion all abound, we see confusion in the Christian community, we see confusion in the society, we see confusion in government, we see confusion all around us. Help us to be men and women, boys and girls who seek you and your favor, and your anointing, and your work, and your glory above all else. Father, I pray that not a single person at the sound of my voice who does not know you as their personal friend and Savior and obey you as Lord, that they would do that today. I thank you that you know and you speak to our hearts through your Holy Spirit. And I thank you that you said, Lord Jesus, those whom the Father gives me, I will lose none. We thank you that we are held in the very palms of your hands. But Father, we want to be a light, and we want to be sold. Will you help us do that? Beginning by recognizing the area of our anointings and stay in it. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.